This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. It's a lesson learned from a tragic incident like this. You learn uh, ways to do things better. A.T. Smith, former deputy director of the Secret Service. But there's another problem that politicians and public figures face today. The sort of the volatile atmosphere that's out there and how passionate people are or become. And then there are the politicians and public servants that don't have protective details. There's many, many, many candidates that run for office that have no sort of security, if you will. Details on what they need to do. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On July 8th at 11.30 a.m. local time, Japan's former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe stood atop a small, red, two-foot-tall platform. It was three feet long and positioned in the middle of a busy street. He was protected by a trapezoid-shaped arrangement of guardrails and a handful of visible bodyguards. Dressed in a dark suit and a white open-collar shirt, he held a microphone in his right hand and gestured with his left hand, which was clenched into a fist. He was delivering an impassioned speech outside of the Yamato Saidaiji railway station in Naira, Japan. Suddenly, Abe froze. For three seconds, after a thunderous explosion and white smoke erupted behind him, he turned and looked over his left shoulder. Another blast echoed. At that moment, his open-collared shirt fluttered near his neck. A small red spot appeared on his collar. Smoke again curled into the air. Abe, his body jarred by the force of the blast, turned back to the audience, stepped off the platform, fell to one knee, then collapsed to the ground. He'd been gravely wounded by bullets from what resembled a homemade, sawed-off shotgun. Almost six hours later, he died. So did the idea that public figures, even heavily protected ones, are safe in today's world. And that's what we're talking about today, with A.T. Smith, former Deputy Director of the Secret Service, the impact of Shinzo Abe's assassination on politicians today. A.T., thank you for agreeing to talk to us today. The former prime minister of Japan was assassinated. And that, and this is no exaggeration, sent shockwaves around the world, and I think as well through the protective detail security community as well. Can you tell me um, your initial thoughts when you heard about this and, and your thoughts about what took place? Yeah, much like the rest of the uh, world, you know, I was shocked to see that uh, that sort of thing had happened, and particularly 
that happened in Japan, you know, which is a country that has very tight uh, regulations and, and laws regarding uh, firearms and ammunition. So that was quite surprising. Uh, not so much, though, after we saw the improvised weapon that the assassin used. So obviously it was one of these either ghost guns or do-it-yourself type, type weapons that he had um, obviously built himself and, and used. And then I believe the subsequent search showed that he had more of that type thing at his, uh, as it, at his residence, whether it was a bomb making ability or bomb making equipment or, or other weapons. So it was a shock. Uh, the other thing that I would say that was, was quite interesting as you see the video, um, not trying to be critical of the Japanese and their security apparatus, but it did not look anything like you would normally see uh, a protective movement or an advance of the United States Secret Service. There didn't seem to be a lot of planning um, associated with it. It almost looked like he was just on a street corner standing on a little platform. So. I'm not quite sure, even though I know some of the reports said that he had the highest level of security, I'm not quite sure uh, you know, what that means for a former prime minister uh, versus the sitting uh, and, and exactly what went into their security plan there. But it, it did not look like uh, a normal Secret Service advance would look for a protectee at that level. When I looked at the video, um, as you said, it looked as though he was on a street corner um, because there were buses, cars moving behind him. And I kind of wonder if anybody was actually watching his back because, you know, if you look at the video, you see him, there's an explosion or thundering, sound, sounds like an explosion. You see some blue smoke. You see him turn around and look over his left shoulder. Then there is another one of those explosions or blast and you you see basically bullets penetrating his his chest and, and neck and he falls to the ground but then you see the the agents run back to tackle somebody who is standing behind him and i'm just wondering as you said not to be critical of them you know what they were actually doing what they were thinking or planning yeah and and again you know the Secret Service from time to time will do what we call OTRs or off the record movements with uh, protectees to include the president from time to time. But usually those are held in very, uh, you know, tight uh, circumstances as far as the, the announcement or sort of forecasting what you're going to do. So occasionally that will happen. But then once um, the protectee has, has arrived, uh, those sort of, you know, circles of protection go into place and everyone coming up after the fact is going to be screened uh, extensively. Uh, and again, this is only in, in sort of an off the record type movement, which doesn't occur very much, but occasionally does. Doesn't quite look like that they were doing anything uh, of that nature either. There didn't seem to be any magnetometer support sweeping anyone. And again, this may just come from you know, their comfort uh, in terms of the fact that they have so few gun-related incidents in that country each year. Yeah. So um, I want to talk to you um, about the message that this assassination sends um, first to the protective community, you know, Secret Service and those types of organizations in other countries as well. 
Uh, and then secondly, uh, and I'll ask this question uh, separately, um, the message that it sends to people who have this kind of protection, whether it's there in Japan or any other country, and certainly here in the U.S., but this day and time. But first, um, the message this sends to the Secret Service. Well, I think the Secret Service is very uh, adept at looking at incidents, and they will take a full uh, review of this incident, even though obviously they were not involved in it in any sort of way. But anytime there is an assassination attempt anywhere in the world, um, either the folks involved in the training division or the intelligence section of the Secret Service will sort of dissect this and, uh, you know, make their own assessment as to what went wrong and uh, what could be improved. And obviously in any way that we can apply that or they can apply that to the procedures of the Secret Service, that will be done. Um, in terms of the shockwave, I think it, it does, you know, it, it, it is certainly heard around the world. And I think most all uh, protective details will take a look at this. And, you know, it's a lesson learned from a tragic incident like this, you learn uh, ways to do things better, best practices, if you will. And so again, while that particular um, incident didn't seem to have a lot of security planning, I'm sure that will cause other protective details around the world to continue to, uh, you know, be a little bit more uh, circumspect of a crowd that they might be going into or, or certainly do more in terms of the security arrangements prior to. Uh, and again, as you and I just said, this almost looked like an off the record or an ad hoc sort of a stop uh, during obviously their political uh, or a campaign season in Japan. Yeah, A.T., um, to the other question, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that it seemed as though this individual might have, well, he clearly had a, a, a homemade weapon and you called it a ghost gun. Uh, and that is essentially what the U.S. is struggling with right now, ghost guns and I think other countries as well. But him having that, and I understand he learned how to make this on YouTube, that kind of, you know, inspiration and skill uh, is not unique to this individual. And when you look at what's going on here in the U.S., we've seen threats against Supreme Court justices. We know that members of Congress have been threatened. And we know with this current situation with the January 6th, committee hearings and other activities related to the January 6th riot going on, there are some significant concerns right now for politicians in the U.S. So what message do you think that sends, this assassination sends to them? Well, I think, again, uh, in terms of those protective details, who are protecting the people that we just talked about, I think it's, it's a lesson learned, and it will certainly uh, tee them up to be a lot more vigilant than they would otherwise be. I'm not saying that that they're not or that there's any lack thereof, but it just serves as a lesson learned. So the unfortunate thing is that we're in such a volatile time. Things that, uh, as you've said, we've seen occur over the last couple of years are almost unthinkable. There are things that we didn't think we would see in this country. And I think that there's very strong opinions on both sides of the political spectrum. And uh, unfortunately, uh, whether it's, through their own individual beliefs or passions, people seem to carry out these sorts of uh, aggressive incidents, you know, based on their feeling or based on what they believe. And I think there was some speculation, again, going back to Japan, 
that this uh, assassin was dissatisfied with the former prime minister because of some association that that he had to a certain organization. So it's volatile. I think in terms of the protective details, they just have to be ever vigilant, more so than ever, always being uh, careful of their surroundings, where they're going to go. And, and, you know, from time to time, you do have to tell uh, a protectee that, hey, it's just not safe to go in that particular environment. That's a hard thing to do because when we go back to what you just said, it was a, you know, the political season coming up or the campaign season coming up. Uh, it's a hard thing to do because the politicians want to be, you know, in the public arena and see people and shake hands and the Secret Service is trying to prevent that. And not just the Secret Service, most any protective detail had rather isolate the protective, but that's just not possible. Uh, in our society, particular, it's a, in particular, it's a give and take. And so uh, I think that this just, in essence, serves as, a, as another reminder, not necessarily a wake-up call, but a reminder that we've got to be diligent, uh, diligent in the duty that, uh, that these protective details have. It is election season in the U.S., and I think every member of Congress, 400-plus, are going to be out and about between now and November. But if you add on top of that all of the state and local um, campaigns that are going on, people running for county councils, city councils, mayors, comptrollers, attorney generals in states all over the country, or at least uh, in a large, large part of the country where elections uh, take place this year, there are an awful lot of opportunities for people who might be interested in engaging in some some kind of uh, attack on these folks. Uh, I was speaking with one of your former colleagues who's still active um, in the Secret Service world, and this individual said to me that it is a new day when you take social media, ghost guns, the climate in this country, and the fact that this is an election year uh, into consideration. I'm wondering what kinds of things generally do general uh, folks, politicians, need to take into consideration? Uh, step aside from your, you know, protective expertise, but just talk about common sense that folks who are running for offices, things that they might need to think about, because a lot of these folks aren't going to have details. Right. Yeah, it is a new day, and I agree with that um, because of what we talked about just a moment ago, you know, the, the sort of the volatile um, atmosphere that's out there and how passionate people are or become. Uh, and you're right. There's many, many, many candidates that run for office that have no sort of security, if you will. Um, I would just say that uh, any candidate running for office, uh, probably if there's a public event, would, you know, at the very least want to check in with local law enforcement, um, see if they can obtain, you know, the presence of local law enforcement at an event like that. Sometimes just, you know, a uniform and a patrol car can serve as a deterrent to somebody that otherwise might see an opportunity. So there's a lot of things that can be done sort of locally like that, if you will. But in terms of the larger details, uh, and again, they, they are scaled. They are actually scaled to the protectee. And so, uh, each of them will have to continue to be more vigilant and, uh, and make sure that just, you know, every possible avenue and base is covered. Uh, in terms of the 
availability. I know we spoke a minute ago about ghost guns, and I think uh, the assassin in Japan used a weapon that we don't normally think about as a ghost gun. Normally a ghost gun is something that you can receive through the mail about 80% of the parts and, you know, it's not traceable. Um, the majority, it looks like of the, the tools or the things that this fellow used to put this gun together, you could, you could get at a hardware store. And it was, it was more like a, an old uh, muscle loader or, uh, or that sort of a, you know, a black powder gun is almost what this looked like more primitive than a, than what we would normally think of as a, as a ghost gun. Well, um, you know, people in general in this country, um, have an awful lot to think about right now. And, you know, secret service agents, people who work on protected details, you know, they have families too. And, um, you know, oftentimes we forget about, you know, what goes through their heads, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, the kinds of things that they have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So if you would, for just a few moments, if you would put your, your protective former Secret Service deputy director hat on again, because I know you do some consulting these days, or at least you have been, um, if you'd put that hat on again and just talk to us a little bit about the, the human side of working a protected detail in this day and time and maybe what you would say to those folks that might ask you for some advice. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely a different day. There is no doubt about that. And, you know, with each um, event like this, as we said a minute ago, the Secret Service is very proactive about uh, trying to improve. Uh, obviously, if you go all the way back to the Kennedy assassination, there were a lot of changes made after that. After the attempt on President Reagan's life, a lot of changes made there. After 9-11, a lot of changes made in the Secret Service in the way that it does advance work because post 9-11, we got into a lot of other threats to include Kim Bio and things that we just never dealt with before. Uh, on the personal side, it is a very strenuous job. And if you think about an agent who does a career in the Secret Service of 25 to 30 years, routinely only about four or five of those years will be spent on a permanent protective detail where, you know, that is the job that they do day in and day out. And the reason for that is the toll that it takes on you, because it's not just the fact that you are, you know, traveling all the time or on the move with these protectees, it's shift work. You're working, you know, long 12, 14, even 20 hour days. You're working shift work in terms of rotating. You work afternoons, you work midnights, you work days. So all of that takes a personal toll on the agents that are assigned to uh, close protection. Having said that, the training is outstanding that they receive. They know what they're going to get when they go into this. So most of them do go in with you know their eyes wide open. Uh, and they understand that it puts them in a difficult situation, both from a stress standpoint of doing the job, but also a stress uh, standpoint on their family. But, you know, I don't want to sound uh, uh, uncaring, but it's what they signed up for. And the Secret Service, I think, has made as many accommodations as they can to make sure that people are not overworked in the capacity that I'm talking about more than a certain period of time and certainly more than, than a certain number of hours in a day. 
couple more quick questions. Um, one, um, is there anything looking at where we are now? The January 6th committee is doing its work. A number of people on the committee have mentioned getting threats from people. Um, and a number of people have testified at these hearings about where their mindset was when they were supposedly involved in the riot on the day of uh, January 6th and how they now see a different side of things, a different picture. Um, I'm wondering, um, is there a way for, I guess, speaking to you as a citizen, is there a way for us as a nation to get past that January 6th thing? Because people still seem to be hanging on to it. Some people are still hanging on to anger about that. So is there a way to get past that? And I asked you that as a citizen and as a man, as, as somebody who is a, uh, uh, you know, a family person. And, you know, there, there are risks out there that people might do something based on a misunderstanding, you know, do something based on something they've read that's absolutely wrong. How do we get past this time? You know, I go back to what you and I talked about, I think, in one of one of our earlier um, podcasts or interviews. People need to just take a step back, I believe. Um, you know, don't be tied to one particular news organization in terms of what's going on in the world. You know, have a variety and look at things and, and think through these things. As you just said, you know, a lot of the the problems that we see out there and these threats are almost like knee-jerk reactions uh, by people that are passionate, but don't take the time to sort of look and analyze at the, the full field here, the playing field, if you will, and, and instead, you know, go off one uh, thought or one direction from they, from somewhere or some person that might have, you know, been giving these directions that's completely off base or, as you just said, uh, completely asserting things that are just untrue or outright lies. So I, I think and I continue to be surprised, you know, as an American, uh, someone who's passionate about our country, sort of the take that some of these folks, you know, positions they take. I mean, I, I tell people a lot when I speak to groups or do things, you know, you're never going to get it your way 100 percent every time. I mean, this country was built on compromise and um you know, I heard a quote one day from, I think it was Morgan Freeman or someone that said, just because I disagree with you doesn't mean that I should hate you. And I think we need more of that. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that we need to be more civil and more respectful about what someone else, uh, you know, may have in the way of their own opinion. So it, it's a hard thing to overcome. And as we've talked about before, JJ, it's it's unfortunate. It seems that the country's just 50-50 right now. And I, yeah. you know, I just back back away for a minute and you know let cooler heads prevail that's at smith former deputy director of the secret service that's it for this episode of target usa coming up in our next episode
Russia's having trouble getting people to fight against Ukraine, so they're resorting to alternative methods. They are trying to mobilize people um, on the temporarily occupied territories. Yuri Sack, an advisor to Ukraine's Minister of Defense, says it's not working. Because nobody wants to go and die. They get no training, they get no preparation, they're just thrown as this uh, meat grinder warfare. And Sack says there's another true sign of Russian desperation that's emerging. Russians are now actually releasing prisoners from prisons in return for their service for the army. But he says that too is backfiring. Our defense intelligence reports that, you know, most of these guys, they will just run away. The latest on the war in Ukraine. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at wtop.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, Cobra Kai fans, come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that, you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It With The Coves, now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts.